and welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily Boston Bruins podcast where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Trust me, they're amazing. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. To keep up with Locked On Boston Bruins, please follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and each new episode will be automatically added to your feed where you can download, listen, and rate and review. You can also find me on Twitter at Ian C. McLaren. That's I-A-N-C-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. Now on with today's show, we're continuing our look back at some memorable moments in franchise history, and I thought we could all use a boost today, so why not take a look at the infamous 4-1 comeback against the Toronto Maple Leafs on May 13th, 2013. It's hard to believe that was seven years ago already, or almost seven years ago next week. The Toronto Maple Leafs were making their first playoff appearance since 2004 and had finished fifth in the Eastern Conference in that lockout shortened season. The Bruins finished fourth in the Eastern Conference. This was before this crazy format that we have now. And of course, the Maple Leafs featured winger Phil Kessel, who had been acquired from the Boston Bruins a few years earlier in a trade for a couple of draft picks that ended up becoming Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton, both of whom were still with the Bruins at that time. Now, this was a bit of a back-and-forth series from the beginning. The Bruins won Game 1 on home ice by a score of 4-1, to a lead that they held. Then the Maple Leafs won Game 2 in Boston by a score of 4-2. Boston then took Games 3 and 4 in Toronto, Uh, 5-2 in Game 3, winning in overtime, 4-3 in Game 4. So they returned to Boston for Game 5 with a 3-1 series lead. But they allowed the Maple Leafs to win both Game 5 and Game 6 by score of 2-1, and then setting up Game 7 on May 13th of 2013 at TD Garden in Boston. Now the Bruins actually jumped out to a one nothing lead in game seven. Thanks to Matt Bartkowski, Milan Lucic and Nathan Horton did some great work along the boards to free up the puck. Bartkowski came in from the point and fired a wrist shot past James Reimer. Later on in the first period, Joffrey Lupo came in on a breakaway opportunity it was a delayed penalty that was called on Zdeno Chara, and on the ensuing power play, the Maple Leafs got on the board thanks to Cody Franzen. Cody Franzen then scored at 548 of the second period to give the Maple Leafs a 2-1 lead. This came on a slapper from the right point that eluded Tukarask. Both teams traded some glorious opportunities, uh, to round out the second period early on in the third, and then at the 2.09 mark of the third period, it was Phil Kessel who gave 
the Maple Leafs a 3-1 lead. It was his fourth goal of the series. A bit of a tap-in on an open net opportunity as Tukarask found himself out of the play at the other end of the net. Uh, So 3-1 lead for the Maple Leafs early in the third period. Then at the, when was it? 529 mark of the third period, Phil Kessel and Nazem Kadri entered the Bruins zone on a two-on-one with Adam McQuaid back as a lone defender. Kessel snapped a shot that was stopped by Rask. The rebound came right to Kadri and he buried it for the 4-1 lead with 14-32 remaining in the third period. Full disclosure at this point, I texted my brother-in-law who is a massive Maple Leafs fan and said congratulations. I firmly believe that this game was over. Toronto had all the momentum. Boston looked dead in the water. And, uh, you know, I figured why not send off a congratulatory text to one of the biggest Maple Leafs fans I know. His response at the time was, not yet, too soon, basically. As we all know, Jeremy Jacobs, the owner of the Bruins, actually left at this point. I didn't go that far. I kept watching, uh, but I did believe that the game was over. 14 minutes, 32 seconds remaining. Three-goal deficit. Uh, looked like the upstart Maple Leafs weren't going to let this one go. However, we all know what happened next. At the 9-18 mark of the third period, Nathan Horton scored from Milan Lucic and David Krejci. That dominant line from 2011 still making its presence felt. You can tell even at that time that the celebration for that goal was very subdued as the Bruins knew that uh, it was either too little too late or they still had a lot of work left ahead of them. Cut to four minutes later, the Bruins have pulled to Garask and they are basically working a six on five power play or man advantage at the moment. Patrice Bergeron on the left point slides it over to Zdeno Chara at the other end of the ice. He fires a slap shot on that is originally saved by James Reimer. Milan Lucic pounces on the rebound and puts it top shelf to bring the Bruins within one with a minute and 22 seconds remaining in the third period. With the score at 4-3, the Bruins again have Rask pulled. Empty net, six men on the ice. Yager and Krejci work it around. Back to Patrice Bergeron, who continues to play at uh, on the point. He fires a wrist shot from the blue line that eludes James Reimer, and we have a tie game. The Bruins actually almost won in regulation. With about 15 seconds left, Brad Marchand fired a shot on net that was saved by Reimer. Huge, juicy rebound came out to Rich Peverly in the slot. It was a bit of a bouncing puck, and he was unable to corral it and uh, get that game-winning goal. But they had done enough to push the game to overtime where this happened. Back to the point again. It never got all the way through. Now Marshawn with it. Hands it off. First one of the top. Rebound chance in front. Tegan is there. Puck up. Free score! Patrice Bergeron! Who tied the game and won it in overtime! They keep the puck inside the zone. Marshawn does a good job battling against Bronson. They get it back. That's the initial shot by Bergeron. And then 
final battle in front of the net. Bergeron gets free and comes in. Cody Franzen and Jake Gardner were the defensemen playing on that final sequence. Franzen after scoring two goals earlier in the game. And Gardner, who uh, became a bit of a scapegoat in future series against the Bruins, not able to clear the puck, came out to Patrice Bergeron, who buried it to give the Bruins the 5-4 overtime win. From there, we know the Bruins went on to beat the Rangers in five games in round two, swept the Penguins in round three, and then lost to the Chicago Blackhawks in six games in the 2013 Stanley Cup Final. A great run that almost did not happen. But thanks again to the Toronto Maple Leafs for coughing up that 4-1 lead and for uh, allowing the Bruins to become Eastern Conference champions and come oh so close to winning their second cup in two years. A great moment in Bruins history that none of us will soon forget. Twitter will not soon forget, that's for sure, as it was 4-1 jokes continue to come up. Um, And, you know... That game has just been compounded by the fact the Bruins went on to beat the Maple Leafs in consecutive Game 7s in 2018 and 2019. The two teams were not on track to meet this year as the Bruins were first in the NHL. Uh, But, you know, perhaps the Maple Leafs could have beaten the Lightning to set up a second round meeting this year. Uh, Although, I don't really think that was going to be the case. A great moment in Boston Bruins history. An iconic image of Bergeron, Marchand, and Sagan skating away from James Reimer, who is flat on his face after giving up that goal. Uh, you know, Tyler Sagan's time with Boston came to an end a couple months later, uh, but he'll be forever etched in team history with that uh, image and being on the ice for that game-winning goal. Unfortunately, the Bruins against the Blackhawks, they were victims of a comeback in Game 6, but uh, we don't want to really talk about that. Before we move on to this week's mailbag segment, I want to talk to you a bit about Built Bar. Built Bars are extremely tasty. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, and 8 chocolate nut-free flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, Soft and easy to chew. The kicker is they're extremely healthy as well. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. If you go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, you'll get $10 off your first order. I can't tell you how much I have enjoyed my first box. Uh, they're, like I said, just extremely delicious, and it's amazing to know that they're also. Good for you. It's the perfect snack, especially when we're all at home, social distancing. Uh, you want something to eat while you're at work, and you can just go downstairs, grab a built bar, and feel satisfied, both you know, health wise and also taste wise. Again, if you use promo code Locked On for ten dollars off at builtbar.com, you can create your own box and enjoy the benefits of built bar. Get on it today; you won't regret it. Let's jump now to some mailbag questions, and there's a few good ones this week. The first comes from Philadelphia Loudface at Mr. Underscore Loudface, and he asks, which single transaction was the most important move toward the success of this current team? That is a fantastic question. Really gives me reason to pause. 
The first move that comes to mind is the signing of Zdeno Chara back in 2006. He and Mark Savard were signed as unrestricted free agents uh, that summer. And Chara, of course, would go on to become captain. Uh, the Bruins have won a cup and been to uh, two other finals in his time with the team. And he really helped to change and shape the culture of this team. Uh, there's a bit of a trickle-down effect among the leadership and just the example that he set. So that jumps out to me. I think another one might be the trading of uh, Andrew Raycroft to the Toronto Maple Leafs for Tuka Rask. Rask has become the backbone of this team in net. Uh, it was Tim Thomas, of course, who won the Cup for the Bruins in 2011, but Rask had been the starter previously. He's been to two finals since, arguably would have won the Smythe Trophy in 2019 if the Bruins had been able to win Game 7. So those two jump out to me as candidates, but I'd probably say, you know, Chara takes the cake, and that's probably one of the best single free agent signings in the salary cap era uh, in the NHL, regardless of, of Bruins or otherwise. Next question comes from at Spencer DJ Blake. He asks, don't know if this has been asked, but as a fan of a team who is far more interested in the playoffs than the draft lottery, how do you feel about the proposed draft ideas doing it in June versus waiting current lottery style versus reviving the old style. Spencer is a Senators fan, so he's obviously more interested in this than we might be as Bruins fans, specifically since the Bruins don't have a first-round pick this year at all. Boston's pick this year, of course, was sent to Anaheim in the David Backus trade. For those of you who are not up on what the proposal is, uh, let me just recap it a bit here for you. This is from Travis Yost of TSN, and he writes uh, the following. If you read the details of the report of the proposed draft uh, lottery system for this year, one potential revision to the lottery rules stands out. The league would pick just one winner, drawing for the top spot only, with those odds likely determined by regular season points percentage. Couple that. Single draw with a couple of important conditions. One, a team can only move up by a maximum of four spots. And two, because only one ball is drawn, a team can theoretically slide by one spot. In other words, this is a boon for the teams lucky enough or bad enough to tank this season away. And it comes at the cost of the second tier teams who won't really get a bite at the proverbial apple. Rios continues under this scenario. Only five teams will have a shot at Ramuski's Alex Lafreniere. Four when you consider that Ottawa owns San Jose's first-round pick. And players like Sudbury's Quentin Byfield, Mannheim's Tim Stutzel, and Erie's Jamie Drysdale will be similarly difficult to land. So the proposed change will be very beneficial to teams at the very top due to the first overall odds and their inability to slide more than one spot. Therefore, Detroit, as the de facto worst team in the NHL this season, they would have a 57% chance of landing the number one spot, 43% chance of landing the number two pick. Ottawa uh, would have 14% chance of getting the first pick, 50% chance of second pick, 37% chance of getting the third pick, since so they can only drop 
uh, two spots or one spot, sorry. And since they have San Jose's pick as well, you know, it just means they're more likely to get, uh, you know, both the second and third picks or first and third. Um, so it's a huge benefit to teams like Detroit and Ottawa. And while teams who are lower in the standings won't be able to move up more than one spot, it means they're also not able to drop. So previously, you know, every non-playoff team technically had a chance at getting the first overall pick uh, from, you know, if you just missed the playoffs by one point to the very worst teams, there is a chance that you're able to move up, albeit very slim chance. But under the new system, only the top five teams would have a chance. And it would be very much weighted towards the top or bottom two teams. Sorry. Um, Again, this doesn't affect the Bruins. I don't think, well, it kind of does actually, because, you know, Detroit and Ottawa could be loaded with the top talent in the draft uh, based on this system. Whereas in the under the old system, there was a, a greater chance that it would be spread out. So that kind of affects the Bruins, seeing as those two teams are Atlantic Division opponents. I'm not a huge fan of changing the rules up on the fly based on extenuating circumstances. I think they should just keep it the way it was. If it can't resume the regular season, then you just base it on a point percentage and go back to the uh, format that has been in play for a few years now. I don't really see the sense in just changing the rules on the fly just uh, for the heck of it, but maybe that's just me. So, yeah, hopefully that makes sense, and that's kind of my thoughts on it. The final question comes from Yuso Kaukiainen, and he asks, what is your opinion on Pasta saying, quote, freaking gay to his opponent in Fortnite? I actually wasn't aware of this incident until Yuso uh, dropped it in my mentions. And I did a quick search, and lo and behold, yes, uh, Pasta was playing Fortnite, and uh, he indeed did say that's freaking gay while in the course of play. My opinion on it is that, you know, I don't condone at all using that kind of language. Um, I don't think it's appropriate or it's actually harmful to use that kind of uh, homophobic language, even in jest. Um, it should not be used as, you know, a pejorative or um, as a uh, insult in any way. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in David Pasternak that he uh, used that language. If you watch the clip, you can immediately tell that he knows that um, that's not something that he should be saying. I'm not excusing it by any means. Uh, I think it's it's wrong. And, um, you know, I, I can't say looking back that I never talk like that while playing video games or with my friends uh, saying gay or, you know, other words like that. Um, but I have seen how harmful it is, seen that it's, uh, you know, just not appropriate at all, cut it out of my vocabulary. And I'm sure that, uh, well, I'm not sure, but I would hope that Pasternak also sees that that is regrettable and uh, kind of cuts that out as well. We all know that homophobia is rampant in hockey culture, and I'm sure that, in other words, 
similar are used in locker rooms and on the ice. There's no denying that. Um, and, you know, hopefully this is used as a reminder to him, a teaching moment uh, for him to uh, kind of clean up that language and be more aware of how his words are affecting others, uh, either, you know, knowingly or not. So, yeah, again, disappointed that Pasternak used that word. And uh, hopefully it's not something that is repeated. So thank you for bringing that to my attention, Yuso. And hopefully I was able to articulate that properly. Let's finish now with some news and notes from around the NHL. Darren Drager of TSN is reporting the NHL hopes to initiate phase two toward resuming the season sometime in late May. Under that scenario, teams could reopen their facilities to allow small groups of players to voluntarily train together. But Drager adds there's an interesting twist to that. Ooh, what is that twist? Well, even though some teams might be able to do that, which means opening up their facilities, the NHL isn't going to allow players to go to their facilities until a majority of NHL clubs are able to do that. So whatever that means based on you know, local restrictions, uh, it basically means that it's likely that we're looking at June instead of late May for that timeline. Now, if the league returns to action this summer, we all know it'll be in empty arenas. Frank Saravelli of TSN reports the NHL is leaving it up to the teams to determine plans to refund tickets. Most teams will prefer rolling that money towards 2020-2021. I think that's what the Bruins have announced that they're going to do. Some teams like the Devils are offering refunds. Flyers fans can't ask for a refund or receive credit towards future scheduled events. Uh, Bruce Garriock of the Ottawa Sun. This, again, is re- in reference to the draft. Uh, he writes that a league executive is saying it feels like staging the 2020 NHL draft in June will happen because the league wants it and they've spent a lot of time on this file to try to alleviate everybody's concerns. Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly Acknowledge the possibility that a club could win the draft lottery and the Stanley Cup. But we think it's a very remote possibility and extremely unlikely to happen. Garyak feels that's why the league is proposing going back to the old draft lottery system that allows teams to move up only four spots and fall back one. I guess that's in reference to, you know, say that NHL does come back after the draft under the old scenario or sorry under the current scenario a team like the blue jackets like i said has a very slim chance of getting the number one pick so say they win the draft lottery get the number one pick then the nhl regular season resumes they sneak into the playoffs and then win the stanley cup Uh, that would be insane very small slim chance that that could happen and that's why it looks like the nhl wants to revert back to those old rules where you could only move up four spots. So hopefully that gives some clarity to that um, mailbag question that I answered earlier. And just to finish off, I just wanted to mention a call that uh, Harry Sinden was on the other day. Uh, The 1970 team is being celebrated this week, and he was on a, a conference call to talk about that. And he also talked a bit about the current Bruins, uh, we talked about last week how Sindin 
left his position as head coach of the Bruins after winning the cup in 1970. Uh, so if you missed that episode, do catch that one. Uh, he was asked how the 2019 Bruins compared to the 1970 team, 2019-20 that is. And he said, very, very comparable and every bit as good. There are a couple of things in my mind that determine good teams from others. It's the way one team checks. Bruins team is one of the best checking teams we've had all the way along. In today's game, that's particularly important. I do like this team. I liked it last year an awful lot, and I liked it the year before. That would be 2018. On Cam Neely, he said, A lot of people wonder what makes someone a good coach or a good executive. No one seems to have the answer and takes a flyer. Some work and some don't. No one that I've dealt with in all my years was so in love with the game of hockey as Cam Neely. He took a terrific blow to one of the spectacular careers that could have been and was and took a few years off, could not stay home. I knew that. It's hard to find a guy like that. He's one of the things I feel proud of. His presence in this city has been spectacular. Sinden also praised the job that Bruce Cassidy has done as head coach. And he also had some interesting things to say about the 2015 NHL draft. This courtesy of a friend of the show, Ty Anderson from 985thesportshub.com. And he writes that Sinden talked about the 2015 draft where the Bruins essentially went one for three so far, um, missing out on players like Matt Barzil, Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat, Travis Konechny, Brock Besser. Not really missing out, but choosing instead to select Jake DeBrusque, Jacobs Borrell, and Zach Seneshin. And Sinden kind of let Sweeney off the hook a little bit. He said, uh, Don Sweeney's first draft, he had never seen any of the players play. He spent all his time in Providence. He had nothing to do with the first three picks we had in that round. He had never really seen them play at all. Sweeney had served as assistant GM during the end of Peter Shirelli's tenure. And he wasn't named replacement until mid-May of 2015, which only gave him about a month's time to do his homework. The Bruins were also perhaps not counting on making those picks. They were trying to flip some of those to move up in the draft to pick a guy like Noah Hannafin or Zach Wierenski. Um, So Sinden then said, you know, he had to live with who they are. We kind of came out of it pretty good. We've done better since. And that's certainly true. They netted Brandon Carlo, Jeremy Lozen on the draft, and then have since, you know, picked guys like Charlie McAvoy uh, to build on uh, for the future. So uh can kind of understand that. It shouldn't all be pinned on Don Sweeney, although the scouting staff should have stepped up on his behalf and kind of helped him out in that regard. But again, that's in the past five years ago now. Kind of hard to th- to believe that it's been five years since those picks were made. I still personally have some hope for both Zborl and Senishin. I think Senishin looked really good in his time with the Bruins last season, and uh, that was derailed by injury. But, um, yeah, I'm not quite ready to fully write him off at this point. Anyways, that's today's episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen. I'd encourage you to check out Built Bar and get $10 off your first box of delicious protein bars using promo code LOCKEDON. Also, take a look at the LOCKEDON NHL podcast for some great content over there as well. We'll be back on Friday uh, with another episode of the podcast. Until then, I hope you all take care of yourselves, and 
take care of each other and I'll catch you again in a couple days. Thanks so much for listening and uh, yeah, peace.